Um, hi, everybody. My name is Earl. I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> All right. A lot of energy in here. Bright lights. So, um, thank you for asking me to come share here. It's always an honor and a privilege to uh, participate in an event like this. Um, nice to be in. We're in Appalachia, right? Just, just, just checking. Appalachia? Appalachia? I'm getting some serious looks right now. <laughs> I'm in Appalachia. In case anybody's wondering. All right. And I want to thank the committee for asking me to come here. I want to thank Dan for picking me up at the airport and driving me in and kind of showing me the ropes and getting me settled in. And everybody's been so kind and nice. Thank you for the basket in my room. I've got to tell you, you, threw me a little bit with the basket, right? Because I'm looking at the basket. I didn't have my. I, I wear reading glasses, right? I, I didn't have them on, right? So I'm just like, oh, nice basket. There'll be some stuff in there, some honey in there, and there's bag of coffee. I don't know what I'm supposed to do with that, but there's a bag of coffee in there. And then I picked this up and I went, well, they got a condom in there. That's <laughs> and, you know, and I mean, I appreciate the thought and all, but, you know. <laughs> And then I looked at it, and it's a, it's a uh, uh, recovery cucumber iPad. <laughs> so it's a good thing I put my reading glasses on, or a horrible mistake might have occurred. <laughs> anyway, I'm keeping that. <laughs> so, man, Mimi, Tony, thank you. Marsha, darling, where are you? My friend of 20-plus years at Moodhead here. There you are, sweetheart. She's a local girl now. Keep an eye on her. Um, and Judith and all the road dogs from North Dakota. Thank you, girls. Thank you guys for showing up and supporting me. I really do appreciate it. It's really great to see you guys. And you're crazy. Right, like we didn't know that, right? 24-hour drive. Just a little jaunt down to a conference, right? Anyway, so uh, it's been great listening to everybody talk about the steps. And, and uh, uh, you know, Larsine just kills it every single time. I passed out in the middle of the day, and I miss Larsine. And I, my sincere apologies, I'm going to get the CD, because you can't listen to her too much. You know what I mean? She's like one of the gold, the gold standard, man. Uh, So I, I apologize for not being there in person. I got four hours sleep. I, I ain't going to make excuses. I just missed it, all right, because I, I was asleep. Yeah. <laughs> That's that, all right. <clears throat> and uh, those are weird, aren't they? That looks like I should be inviting you all to some sort of timeshare deal by a, vol <laughs> by a volcano. Right? That's what that looks like. That looks like I should be saying to you, do you feel like living dangerously? <laughs> Have I got the spot for you? <laughs> All right, I'm going to stop screwing around because this is serious. Uh, thank you, 50-plus dude. Thank you for being the light up ahead, man. Thank you for being the light up ahead. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, guy with three days, welcome, man. Welcome. Now, girl who got high today, right? You're closing in on day one. You're closing in, coming in for a landing. We're right here. Tomorrow will be day one. We're going to be here with you for day one. How cool is that?
no pressure or nothing, you know. <laughs> Pacing in a room all night. Jesus Christ, those people are waiting on them. We've got to have a day. <laughs> I didn't mean to put any pressure on you. Just, just, just come on. Yeah, come on. We'll love you till you can love yourself. Well, no, no doubt about it. I've been around this crowd. This is a loving bunch in here. This is a good place to, to start the journey. And, and the journey it is. I'll tell you a little bit about mine. Um, I didn't start drinking until I was 12 years old. I, I, <laughs> I say it like that, man, because I needed to drink way before that. Uh, you know. Um, um, I had been restless, irritable, and discontented, and so had my old man. Um, uh, my old man was a violent, fear-driven, homicidal lunatic. And there's not one word of exaggeration in that. He was all of those things. I knew he was homicidal because he proved it. Just leave it at that. Uh, um, you know, um, the kind of guy that never should have been a parent. I mean, I don't want to take his inventory, but, you know, he had a big impact on how I got rolling, you know. Uh, um, you know, that guy never should have been a parent. I mean, I remember, you know, I, don't, I didn't have a childhood, right? I just had little flash freeze frames, little pictures. You know how you have little photographs, little two-dimensional images of your life when you were little, right? And you didn't have the words to put to them at the time, just these images and these feelings that went with it. And I remember walking down a hallway, and my father had his hand on my shoulder, and that was weird. I remember that being distinctly strange, because my father and I, from the time I could stand up, we shook hands and fought, and that was it. So for him to have his hand on my shoulder felt strange. And we were walking down the hallway, and he said, Well, you're going to be a man soon. And I remember thinking, I don't think that's correct. <laughs> I mean, you know, I counted them up. I'm four. <laughs> right? So my old man was jumping the gun a lot, you know what I mean? I mean, I had the Dukes up by four and a half, five, you know what I mean? You know, because they, they needed to be, you know. Yeah, I, you could, fights broke out before breakfast. I mean, it just, you know, people were up and it was on, right? And, you know, he was just a big bulldog and I was a little bulldog. And, I mean, we just clashed right out of the gate. I'm Earl Hightower Jr., I am an extension of the man. I was to be all the things that he could not be. He was a fear-driven, self-made man. I mean, he'd gone, you know, worked his way through uh, tenant farmers. You know, they didn't own the farm they lived on in Oklahoma. You know what I mean? They worked a farm that somebody else owned, and they got a cut of the crops. You know what I mean? They were poor, poor, poor white trash, right? And he worked his way through school, and he worked his way through college, and he worked his way through law school, got a law degree, went to work for the FBI, went from the FBI to the CIA, you know, and, and all the way through that, just driven by a hundred forms of his own fear, right? And took all of that and put that on me, that I would be all the things that he, for some reason, never felt that he could be. And, and I wasn't down for that. I felt like I'm a separate person. You know, how about, you know, I, I never got asked what my opinion was. What would you like to do? What would you, you know, how, not, nothing. It was like, go get a haircut, wear these clothes, go to that school, get in the car, you know what I mean? You know, just so I, I became very antisocial very early in the game, right? I was getting thrown out young. So at 12 years old, I got, I had a bunch of tests done on me. And uh, I got accepted to this boarding school, this think tank, right, that had, was, went from ninth to 12th grade, and they were doing this experiment. They were these, these kids were experiments. And the experiments were they scoured the earth to find this eighth grade class. They called them the five-year men. They were going to be the first five-year men of this, like, place that had started in Bell Buckle, Tennessee, and they had, now had a campus out on the West Coast, right? And I, they took a test, and 16 kids in the world passed the test. Right? And how I found out, nobody went, hey, not bad, kid. You know what I mean? Nothing like that happened. What happened was I was just at home and my old man came in my room and said, go get in the car. All right. Easy. You know? <laughs> Went and got in the car. You know what I mean? And there was another car there full of relatives. And I, was, I, I said, who are those people? And he said, you're related to them. 
I had no idea, you know, and off we went, you know what I mean? And, and we drove and drove and drove and drove and drove, ended up in front of this, this, this place, and I got out of the car, my father got out of the car, nobody else got out of the car. Engines were running. Never, didn't turn off the car. Clearly we weren't staying long. At least they weren't, right? And he put a suitcase down next to me and he shook my hand for the first time in my life and he said, this will make a man out of you. And he got back in the car and they all drove off. Now I was 12 years old, 5 feet tall, 103 pounds. I mean, like manhood was right around the corner. <laughs> Just this baby standing there with a suitcase, right? Like, huh? Uh, what? Where are you going? Right? And it turns out that I was the youngest and the smallest kid in the school of 250 boys. They'd scoured the earth to find 250 of the brightest, most disturbed young kids they could find. Just like Lord of the Flies in this joint, right? And I was the only person who wasn't a teenager. Everybody else was 13 to 18. I was 12, right? And that doesn't matter to anybody but a 12-year-old. You know you don't fit. This place is for teenagers. I am not one of those. I would like to go home now. I'll stick with the devil I know, you know. So I'm like freaking out. So in the first week, I mean, I've got my books. There's no electives in this place. They just hand you, you know, you're taking ancient history and Latin and, you know, applied electrophysics or whatever the hell it is, you know what I mean? And, and you got your books and, you know, a little kid and you're walking around. This. And I met Tiny. Every high school's got a kid named Tiny, right? He's like 6'4", 240, you know, plays guard on the football team. Just big, just throws a lot of shade, right? And, and I'm trying, you know, and I, I felt him over there, like there's a lot of motion over that direction, right? So I just, I'm looking this way and all I heard was, how you doing, punk? And smack in the back of the head, man, sent me and my books flying, scattered me up, you know, across this, this quad and like in front of all these kids, man. And, and, uh, you know, Tiny, you know, uh, Tiny just figured he'd just smack the new kid, you know what I mean? Just sort of a, you know, an initiation thing, you know? Some little runt that, you know, managed to get caught up in the mix here, you know? And he, just, ha, 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 ha. He didn't realize that he had just hit somebody that was willing to die over this, you know? <laughs> you know? I had learned, man, you don't take that laying down. That sets an incorrect precedent, right? So I got up and I walked over and I belted Tiny as hard as I possibly could and then just stood there like growling at him. And what I will admit was a quite a high-pitched growl, but, you know, I was growling at him. And he looked down at me with this very curious look on his face, like this is, you know, that never happened to him. And he just said, you know, kid, you got a lot of guts. And he beat the crap out of me. And I mean, he beat me, you know, because I wouldn't lay down. You know, he'd smack me and bam, down I went. I popped right back up. Like, you know, that all you got? You know, that, that, that's, that's what came out of my mouth. And as soon as it did, my brain said, I hope so. Because <laughs> that second one's going to leave a mark. You know, legs are a little wobbly after that one. <laughs> all right, come on, big man. Whap, back down I go bouncing right back up and it started to get embarrassing you could tell that tiny was like going dude this is way past anything i was expecting i don't want to be i don't want to murder a small person today it's not what my, i didn't intend to do this right and the uh, and and like other guys that didn't even know me were just going we don't know you dude but stay down just stay down we're with you good effort just you know and finally i couldn't get up you know what i mean so some guys came around and just you know Check the bones, you know, check, you know. And then I, you know, finally staggered back to my room. I mean, I got knots swelling up, you know, bleeding, and, I, and going back to my room thinking, life sucks. And word spreads, word spreads like wildfire across this campus. Watch out for this little high tower kid. He's a maniac. He attacked dining. <laughs> I did not. But that's what went out, you know. So it's like that all of a sudden, my inner life and my outer life are rocketing in opposite directions, you know. And I don't even know what's happening. So I'm just sitting in my room, just thinking, you know, love boarding school. This is great. <laughs> and word spreads like wildfire. Watch out for this little high tower kid. He's a maniac. He attacked Tiny. And so the cool guys came around, and Matt stuck his head in the dorm, and Matt said, "Hey, dude, you want to smoke a joint?" And I said, "Yes, I do." And I didn't even know what that was, you know. <laughs> but I heard him say, do you want to hook up with us? 
And that's what I needed to hear. I needed somebody to say, you can come with us. You're not alone. Just come be with us. They could have said, You're, we're going to kill the Spanish teacher. And I would have said, I'm in. Let's, you know, they got me in Latin. I'm, you know. I'll whack old caballero with you. You know, let's go. You know, <laughs> you know right? I don't, I'm like losing it, right? So we go behind the dorm, two 12-year-olds. We picked up Steve on the way. Matt, Steve had a Tupperware container full of Mad Dog, right? Cheap red, no grapes involved red wine, right? Just that fortified stuff, right? That stuff that works, right? <laughs> Went behind the dorm, three babies, and they fired up the joint. And I don't know what it is, you know, I've been talking about this lately, but you know that there's, there's stuff, that's, you, you know how to do stuff, and you don't know how you, you knew to do it, right? And that was when it, he took a hit off the joint and he handed it to me. And, and I, nobody ever passed me a joint before in my life, you know? So, I mean, just here came this joint, and I didn't, you know, in, it must have been in my deep... Somewhere in my history, there's a dope smoker. Because some in me, I just knew how to just go, flap, and I had it. You know what I mean? I just, ba-boom, you know what I mean? There's like two or three things that occur, but they're, they all happen in, in one motion, you know? And I somehow knew that. I don't know how I knew that. Just, it just went pop, you know what I mean? And just took a hit off of that, and that burned my lungs. And I was like, well, that sucked. Give me that wine thing, right? Took a pull on the wine, and that went down and bounced off the bottom of my stomach and just wafted back up. You know what I mean? I was like, ugh, right? Give me that joint again. Let's try that again. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I have no idea what's happening, but it happened. That thing that makes me bodily and mentally different from my fellows occurred. I did not have a normal reaction. Because suddenly, instantly, inexplicably, I'm comfortable standing where I'm standing, doing what I'm doing with the people I'm doing it with. And I never felt like that before in my life. I feel like I exhaled for the first time. And, and I couldn't believe it. I don't know what, what is happening. Is it the pot? Is it the wine? Is it the fact that I'm here with my two very close personal friends, Matt and Steve? <laughs> <laughs> these are my boys, you know what I mean? I mean I, I'm, I'm feeling these, you know. I got your back, Matt. I got your back. It's like, okay. <laughs> and nobody died. Nobody went to the nut house. No blood was drawn. You know, nobody went to prison. All those things were going to happen. But they didn't happen that night. That night, I felt better than I'd ever felt before in my life, and nothing bad happened. Now, you know, that's a pretty easy one to figure out. You know, I need to do that as often as I possibly can. So I woke up the next morning, and my first thought was, where are Matt and Steve? <laughs> Need to get that party started again. You gotta, you know, Because that made everything better, everything okay. I wasn't worried about where Tiny was. I wasn't running to get to the pay phone to call Mom and Dad and say, come on, please. You know, I'll give you a parental mulligan on this one. You know what I mean? Just come get me and we'll all be fine. It's like, nope. Screw you. You don't want me, I don't want you. Turn my back on my family, pretty much never went back, right? It was just humble beginnings for a guy like me. A little pot, a little red wine, man, and I was in. If there's an invisible line, it's right here. <laughs> That's where it is. If you guys are wondering where the line is, there it is. It just crossed it. Boom. Done. Alcoholic, no question. Right out of the gate, man. And, I mean, I just took to it like there was just no other way to be. I, just, I was a little pissed off nobody had pointed this stuff out to me earlier, you know. And so it just started humble beginnings. Thirteen was pills. The only reason I took a pill is I was on a ten-hour pass. And the guy said, would you like a couple of these pills? And I said, yes, I would. <laughs> I took the pills, threw them in my mouth, swallowed them, and said, what were those? <laughs> Which is the order we do things in. Normal people, normal people will go, what might these be? You know, just a general overview would be fine. <laughs> Me, I take them and I just go, listen, should I get comfortable on the ground or, <laughs> you know, <laughs> should I get comfortable, should I lay down now, you know, or should I get ready to paint the house? What are we doing? <laughs> you know, <laughs> yep. and I'll tell you right now, man, I identify as an alcoholic. I like alcohol. I love heroin. I love barbiturates. These are a few of my favorite things, all right? 
But if you don't have any of those, I'll take a giant bag of the cocaine, you know, or the methamphetamine, whatever you got, cause, you know, because I'm happy. Let's get, like, fine, let's get in the cars and start decoding license plates, driving the freeways, you know what I mean? Instant psychosis, I'm in, because the truth is this about me. And, you know, you figure your own thing out. My, me, it's this. It's all anti-oral medication. I'm a self-centered, frightened human being, right? And I need anti-oral medication as quickly as possible, right? Because it's it, the truth is, is that I'd like to go down and out. My idea of a perfect night is sitting around checking my pulse. Just... <laughs> I'm really happy right there. I don't need a I don't need a window. I don't need a television. I don't need nothing, man. I just just right in that pocket, man. Heart and lungs working, perfect, right? But if you don't have it, let, psychosis is perfectly acceptable to me. Let's go, up or down. Because the thing is, you know, I like to think I'm a specialist, but the truth is this: beneath all of that is the truth. Beneath all of that is this: is that I got to get out of right here, right now, because right here, right now. I'm self-centered and I'm afraid. Right here, right now, I'm comparing my insides to your outsides and I'm losing every time. Right here, right now, I, I, I can't get right with the world and I can't get right with me. I just can't exhale fully. You know, when I'm sober, it just, no matter what I do, no matter who I talk to, no matter what I try, the screws just seem to slowly tighten on me till it becomes so unbearable. I got to medicate, man. I got to get some alcohol in my system right away. Now, I, I'm a child of the 60s, all right? So, I, you know, we, I talk about drugs in my story, but we were very focused on the drugs in the 60s. Our parents were the alcoholics. We weren't going to drink ourselves to death. We were going to have carve out our own identity. We're going to kill ourselves in a whole new way under <laughs> drugs, right? But the fact of the matter is this. Alcohol was on the table every single day. That was the thing that was most important of all the things that I did. If I had a fit of Jack Daniels on the table, I knew everything was going to be okay. I was going to get where I needed to get. I would get to the fear killing. I would be able to kill the fear if Jack was there. Because the fact is, drugs are completely unreliable. They're completely unreliable. You, never, you don't know what you got till you get it in your body, right? Because, I mean... Dealers are not, you know, I was one for quite some time. And we are not what you would refer to as the most ethical of individuals, you know. I have never gone to a connection and had the guy say, you know, the heroin today, a little weak. You know, uh, do what you got to do for, you know, a few days. Give me a call. We'll see if we can't have something a little better for you. Because, you know, personally, I'd be ashamed to sell you this. You know, it's like... Never happened. You know what I mean? Always the greatest. Watch out. You should probably cut that again. You know, you know, and you're shooting salt in your arm. You know what I mean? It's just, just, it's just stupid. Drugs are completely unreliable. But you get a fifth of Jack Daniels, you get a little quart of good gin on that table, you're going to be okay because it's reliable. You get, you do so much cocaine, you can't get your mouth open anymore. <laughs> you know, you know what I'm talking about, right? And it's like 7 p.m. and the party just started. You've completely overshot the mark again. <laughs> you don't got to worry about it because you suck a little jack through your teeth. It'll loosen you right up and you can go on with the party. You're all right. Jack will straighten it out. Drop some acid, get a little too spooky. Don't worry about it. Gin get you back in the comfort zone. You'll be all right. Don't want to worry about it. The walls will go back where they belong. <laughs> So 13 was pills, 14 was psychedelics. The only reason I did psychedelics is I was on a pass with a girl named Debbie. Lovely girl, Debbie. I love her to the bad girl. I will love her till the day I die. And Debbie said, would you like to drop some acid? And I said, yes, I would, Debbie. You want to drop out whatever this acid thing is? I want to drop whatever this is. And she took out a lipstick tube and spun it up, and there's this little pill on the end of the lipstick, which I thought was quite clever. So I took it off and popped it in my mouth and swallowed it. And Debbie said, um, did you take that whole thing? <laughs> and I went, well, what's the problem? I mean, it was a very tiny pill. You know, I'm using these big old horse caps, these big barbiturates, you know what I mean? And Debbie goes, well, that was three hits of white lightning. <laughs> Look at that lady right over there. You know what I'm talking about. That lady over there just went like, <laughs> I love it when I see it, right? That, those psychedelic people, right? She's up, she just went like this. <gasps> oh! 
that's way too much of that particular LSD. Yes, it was. Two days later, as I kind of came back around, you know what I mean? I, I got to go and I thought, you know, I should probably do that. I need to get better at that, you know? I didn't seem to be very good at that, so about 650 hits later, I got classified legally insane by the military, but we ain't got time for that. So, you know, we just, you know, so 15, I started shooting dope. The only reason, I'm drinking the whole time, right? Uh, 15, I started shooting dope. The only reason I shot dope is I was on a boat in Marina Del Rey, California with a very attractive young woman by the name of Cammie. And Cammie said, would you like me to stick this in your body? And I said, Cammie, I'm certain of it. <laughs> right? So Cammie hit me up and I just went, oh. <laughs> right? And on the way down, all I was thinking was, if I'm not dead, I'm doing that again, man. That was awesome, right? Hence, that process started in my life like a, you know, a horse race. That, that took off, right? Um, 16, I got my, I, I dropped out of high school. I figured five, you know, years of Latin, plenty, thank you, right? And uh, my father came back in my life and said, you've gone insane, threw me in a mental institution for three months of observation and a year of rehabilitation, which I thought was a little excessive, right? So I t finally talked my way out of there, right? Ended up um, hitting the streets doing what we do, and they threw the net over me and got me back in the nut house. But I already learned. I learned quick, man. You get thrown in the nut house, you got to get out before they get the Thorazine in you. Because, you know, you know, they, you know, first time in, they're throwing three cups of pills down, and I'm, you know, shuffling around in that joint, you know, just kind of figuring when I'm going to make my move, right? You know, having my meals with this chick named Kill Day. Right? Kill day was flat out nuts, man. And all you had to do was wind her up was like, just look at her and go, kill day, how you doing? Kill day. <laughs> wow! And kill, you know, off she got all the staff, and, you know, whistles going, you know, everybody's running to contain kill day, right? It's like every meal was like dinner and a show, you know what I mean? <laughs> Get your jello and flip kill day out, you know what I mean? So I used her as a diversion. Right? I saw the exit sign. That's all I wanted to do was exit. Right? Like, just like I did. So, we were having lunch one day and I, you know, and I didn't know. Right? I've been taking the three cups of pills a day with the Thorazine in it. I'm, you know, don't understand. Right? That when I go to make the move, it ain't going to be there. <laughs> right? So, I flip kill layout. She goes flying off that way and I'm ready, ready to go. And I'm a hauling ass, man. You know, <laughs> I got the arms working and everything, you know. And you know, over the loudspeakers, you hear from the, from the nurse's station, you hear, uh, Ed, when you got a minute, you want to grab her early? He's making a break for the door. Right? Ed's in there having a sandwich going, yeah, I'll get him in a minute. Hang on. And I'm like going, man, that is demoralizing. You know what I mean? It's like, they're in no rush to get me, and they will. Back to the room with no doorknob. That's where I'm headed, right? So finally talking my... So the second time they throw me in the nut house, I know I got to get out like now, right? So I, I, I said, hey, look at that. You know, jumped out and over the fence and gone in the intake process before they could get the pills in me. Stayed out on the street for three years doing what we do. Ended up in business college. Long story. Um, you know, right? You know, I was good at school stuff, right? You know what I mean? So, you know, I took a bunch of tests, went in, did a little chit-chat thing, you know what I mean? Became a drag, become a drug dealer, which was fine because I had no sense of family. I had no sense of community. You know, I had no sense of morals or ethics. I was just loose, you know? So I get into this school, and I'm studying marketing, production, distribution. I'm applying it to my business. Businesses boom, and I think college rocks, right? And they tell me... That we have a health fair, so all, all my, me and my buddies, we're going to go to the health fair, right? So we just get wrecked and go to the health fair. And they looked at me, over, they checked me out, and they go, we think you should go see a doctor. And I was like, oh, okay. So I went to the doctor, and the guy goes, uh, you have malignant cancer. And I was, well, that's a shock. <laughs> you know, I was thinking maybe I had a, needed a filling or something, you know. And, nope, you have malignant cancer. And so... Called my mother and said, look, apparently I have malignant cancer. She dropped the phone and ran around like a crazy person and picked up the phone and guessed, get your ass down here. So I ended up in L.A. Um, at this cancer institute. And um, they did, I came to L.A. They did major surgery on my upper back, told me to get my affairs in order. And I remember when the guy said, you should get your affairs in order. And I remember thinking, and I was like 19, 20, right in there. And I remember thinking, 
wow. That's the first time I got stopped dead in my tracks. You know what I mean? It was like, huh? Like, I make a couple of phone calls, man, and we're pretty much good to go. I got, I got like nothing to show for having been on this planet. I haven't done anything of any value for anyone ever. And it really hit me, right? So I do this major surgery thing, and they put me, they called it nuclear medicine back then. It's chemotherapy, right? So I end up in chemotherapy. And I don't like their drugs, so I go home and get loaded the way I get loaded, and I'm a long-term cancer survivor, right? So I'm, I'm like healing up, you know, I get this big scar on my back, right? And I fly back up there, uh, I'm going to college, and my mother calls me crying, and she says, we haven't been anywhere as a family in 10 years. You and your father, you got to put this stuff down, and we got to put this family back together. So your little sister and I and, and your dad, and we're all going to go, you know, and, and we'll go anywhere you want to go, we're just going as a family. And I just said, fine. You know, thinking this ain't gonna work, man. You know, I got hair down my elbows. My old man's gonna take one look at me, right? And just, you know, here we go. You know, but it didn't happen. I got showed up and we all got in the plane and we took off the flat of Guadalajara and on the way there, the plane crashed. And my mother, my father, my little sister all died in the crash. And I was the only one that survived uh, of, of my family. And I remember waking up in the wreckage and my, my mother was laying right over there and my little sister was laying over there and my father was laying right over there. And I'd fractured my skull, broke my back in three places, crushed my arm and my leg, had a lot of internal injuries. Um, I could move my right arm, that was all I could do. And uh, I couldn't get to any of them to help them, so I just laid there and I watched them all bleed to death in front of me. And it was like something, where, whatever the deepest part of me is, that place has a switch. And it, I, just, I just switched it off. It wasn't dramatic. I wasn't shaking my fist at the sky. I just, you know, any God that would take a kind, loving, gentle, poetic creature like my little sister Kimberly, who was 15 months younger than me, and leave a lying, cheating, thieving, dope fiend, fool like me on the planet, and an alcoholic like me. I got no use for a guy this type, and I renounced God. And then some guys came up, and they scavenged a plane wreck. I took out my driver's license, and I was holding up because I wanted them to know my name when I died because I knew I was dying. And they just snatched it out of my hand and took the money out of the wallet and threw it back on my chest and took, off, took what they could find and left me there to die. That pissed me off. I'm, I'm no more love for you either. So I had no love of God. I had no love of my fellow man. Some other guys finally came up and they took me and put me in the back of a flatbed truck with my mother. I held her hand and we went down to this Mexican aid station, tagged her dead, tagged me dead, tagged us and waited smoking cigarettes. And I remember looking in the afternoon light, I could see these fleas dancing in the truck. And I was, I just remember thinking that that's the rhythm of death. That's what, that's, that's the rhythm of the lights going out. I was just this, you know, headspace that I was, I was dying, right? And the last thing my father ever taught me was I remember looking at him and he's laying there, he's all busted up and, you know, busted up real bad. And his leg was broken in I don't know how many places. And he kept picking up this, this busted leg and slamming it in the ground. And the pain was so severe, he'd suck in another breath. I mean, he was a tough son of a bitch, man. And, and I remember watching him do that. And so as I started to feel the shock take over me, all my ribs were busted too. And I would take my arm, the one I could move, and I would slam myself in the side. And the pain was excruciating. But it would like snap me up out of the shock. So that's actually the last thing my father ever taught me was how to not die. Um, credit where credit's due, man. And uh, um, they took me to a hospital in Los Mochis, Mexico, and the Federales got, they took my name and they found out I was back in Mexico. So here came the Federales and they interrogated me through an interpreter for three and a half days, wanting to know what I was doing back in Mexico. Had a little issue with the Mexican government. We don't need to get into that either right now. <laughs> Let's just say they were not happy to see me in Mexico, right? So that went really bad. Um, like torture bad. And um, I finally got a phone to call some guys in Northern California and um, got some guys to fly a plane down. They paid everybody off, plastered me from the neck down, took me back to uh, L.A. And um, I was in the hospital a long time, um, getting maximum doses of Demerol every three hours around the clock. And when they let me out of there, I knew I had to hook it up, man, because I had three hours to connect before I started kicking bad, right? And so I just, you know, but I had my boys. They were ready for me, right? So I, I you know, they, they said, you know, we could discharge your family. I said, I don't have any. There, I need to get somebody down there with cash to get the bodies out of Mexico. You know, I'm leaving with these guys, and they put a, uh, uh, I had a custom-made brace made, and my leg was still in a cast, and I had a cane, and I was all sucked up, man. And I got out of there, and I, and, uh, I had pictures in my head I couldn't live with. I knew I couldn't live with. And so I tried to, I began to start and try and blot out the intolerable nature of my existence. 
to coin a phrase, right? And uh, I, I used for six more years. And I used with complete and utter reckless abandon. Um, I was never suicidal, uh, specifically, but um, death was an acceptable consequence of the way I used. If it was going to kill me, it was going to kill me. I wasn't really worried about living or dying. I just needed to get the, I, this, these things out of my head. I couldn't live with the things in my head. But I just, you know, I mean, I'm a real trick bag, man. I mean, when I came out of my last blackout, uh, it was you know, my sobriety date's November 6, 1980. I'm 38 years sober. Or... Or as Charlie would put it, I'm pushing 40. <laughs> but but uh, I'm, I'm 38. I couldn't stay sober for a day. But what happened was is that I came out of a blackout. I'm a lightning bolt through the window guy. I'm one of those guys. Uh, I came out of a blackout, and I don't know, I had hundreds of blackouts. I don't know why, but I came out, and it was over. I knew it was over. I couldn't use anymore. I, I, at that moment, um, I was 215 pounds. I was yellow. I was dying of alcoholism. Sack around my heart was swollen. My thyroid was completely shut down. Couldn't touch my, my liver. My kidneys were pissed, right? Um, just pissed. Um, both my hands were broken. They were deciding whether or not to charge me with the attempted murder of David Luboff. And apparently, I'd really been trying, right? And... So there was like a lot of debate going on outside. And I came out and it was over. And I said something I hadn't, I don't remember ever saying. I said, please help me. I held up two busted paws and said, please help. And somebody in there knew. Somebody in there knew what that, what had just happened. I didn't, but somebody didn't. They said, throw him in the ambulance. Don't put him in the police car, throw him in the ambulance. And they threw me in the ambulance. They took me to get my stomach pumped at UCLA. They said, get him out of here. He's going to die. They took me to Long Beach uh, to uh, Olive View Medical Center for three to five days. I don't really know. I think it was five days. And they said, you know, he's just getting worse. And they took me to a place called Long Beach General Hospital, which was 42 army cots in one room. 21 cots on each side of the room with sheets drawn between them, right? And how you kicked, it was called riding the cot. Right? Which you, you got in it, you kind of sank in, and there were these two wooden bar poles along the sides, and you grabbed onto those poles, and you rode. And there was, there was no guy showing up at night going, are you a little anxious tonight, Earl? Are you feeling a little anxious? Can I get you a little something to help you sleep? That guy never showed up. I spent 47 days in that cot. Not once did anybody ever show up and offer me a little assistance in this detoxification. <laughs> right? I kicked two seizures, jumped, you know, popped right up out of that cot twice, seizures, and they just roll you into the hospital, shoot you in full of anticonvulsants, you know. 180 over 110. Great. Send him back. I'm like, huh? What? You know, <laughs> back in the cot. Yeah, all right. Yeah, you know, learned, learned the best way through this was my newcomer mantra for quite a while, which was fine. How you doing, everybody? Fine. <laughs> which in my, which to me meant, I am not dead. It's, I mean, that's the line for me. I'm alive. Don't know how. I'm having experiences here that I don't believe are normal human biological experiences, you know. Parts of my body are so mad at me. I mean, there's wars going on in here. Nobody's sleeping. People are freaking out every minute. And you didn't have to stay. If you wanted to leave, just get up and walk out the door. There's a line around the block of guys waiting for a cot, right? I hung in for the five plus, so 52 days of detox. Ray W. sat me up and he said, dude, you better go to the ANA, man, or you're going to die. I said, well, that's kind of rude. You know, you got a, any plan B or anything, you know? You got AA or filling them. Nope. Go to ANA. Fine. So on a Friday night, I ended up in the basement of a church, Alcoholics Anonymous. No idea what this was. No idea how this worked. No idea how to be in the world. I'd been underground since I was 12 years old. I, I didn't, I had not drawn a sober breath as an adult. Any, name a thing that a human being does as an adult. I had never done that sober. None of it. Didn't know anything about it. Being, and I was having a conversation with somebody about this before. When you've been that loaded that long, being sober feels like you're on acid. It is such an alteration of consciousness. You don't even know what, to, I mean, people are like, you know, hey, buddy, how you doing? And you're thinking, Jesus, slow it down. 
and quiet down. That you're just loud. You're very loud, and you're close too. Just step back, Jesus Christ. People just coming on, you know. It's like, so I just mad dogged everybody. I'm not good at the chit chat thing. I, you know, come into meetings and everybody's chit chatting. You know, I'm standing in the back, arms folded, mad dogging everybody. They're all chit chatting. You know, and most people got enough sense to leave me alone. Like the old timers saw me, and they're like, "How you doing there, partner?" I mean, from like 30 feet away. You know, "How you doing there, partner?" And get yourself a cup of coffee and a seat right over there. And good luck with all that you got going on right there. <laughs> they didn't come near me, which I appreciated. I didn't know what to do or say, you know. I, I mean, they had the, the, the scrolls, the 12 steps and 12 traditions, right? And I read the 12 steps and I went, okay, got it. What else you got? You know? I mean, it's not complicated. I get it, right? So, you know, traditions, not a, I'm not a group, I'm not reading those, right? You know, in every meeting, you got a guy with like nine months who just got fired with Alcoholics Anonymous and will be giving it away tonight. My guy was named Vegas. That was his name. Vegas N. I, he couldn't possibly still be alive. I, I don't know. But Vegas, he can't, he saw me and he just was like, new guy! And I was like, oh, 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 mm-mm. <laughs> nope, nope, nope. And I could see all these people like trying to whisper to Vegas, Vegas, back it up, dude, back it up, back it up, back it up. And Vegas is just like, coming, you know what I mean? <laughs> Book under his arm, you know? And he comes flying right up on me, man. I'm, you know, he got close enough where I had to put my hand out. It was just like, stop! And Vegas just, hi, my name's Vegas. I'm an alcoholic. And I said, yeah, yeah, terrific, buddy. Me too. I don't know what you're so happy about. Why don't you get away from me? And he looked at me and he went, keep coming back. And like five guys sitting over here went, hey, did you see that? Vegas told a crazy guy to keep coming back. <laughs> And I'm thinking, what the hell is this, man? And then, you know, a bunch of stuff happened. I mean, me going to a meeting was, you know, just to find it. It was just like, in my, inside my head. So if you're new and you identify with this at all, welcome. I would show up in a meeting and go, found it, I found it, I found it. All right, park the car, go in. Just, just, uh, you know, fine. How you doing? Fine. How you doing? Fine. fine. Got to put the keys on the seat, put the keys on the seat. That's how they do it. They put the keys on the seat. There's a guy with a red coat. Find the red, the red, I'll sit next to the guy with a red coat. I find the keys, put the guy in the red coat, red coat. How you doing? Fine. 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 Ring the bell, ring the bell. Sit down, sit down. How you doing? Fine! You're going to sit down, sit down. The guy's up, he read, read, he's reading, he's reading something, he rarely saw something, rarely saw something, uh, 12 things, he rarely saw something, there's 12 things in an A, B, 12 things A, B, C, rarely, alright, he's down. I didn't get a lot of that, but 12 things A, B, C. Right? Another guy, he's up, he's reading something else, he's got, another guy's up, he's talking, he drank, I drank, I drank like that, I drank like that, hey, not bad, not bad, not bad, oh, he's down, that was pretty quick, alright. Another guy, he's up, he's down, now they're, they're passing a the basket, passing, what are they passing, oh, don't take the money, don't take the money. <laughs> they'll, they'll spot you immediately if you do that. Just don't. All right, good. Basket's by. Right, just go. All right, all right, we're taking a break. Break. Where are we going? We smoke. I smoke. We'll smoke. We'll smoke. We'll smoke. How you doing? Fine. How you doing? Fine. How you doing? Fine. Jesus Christ with the questions. What's the matter with you people? Jesus Christ. Right. Uh, ringing the bell, going back, finding the guy with the red coat. Red coat! Where's the guy with the red coat? Right. Yeah, got the keys. How are you? Fine, I told you before, okay? And, I, and he's up, he's reading 12 things. Those aren't the same 12 things. 24 things ABC, 24 things ABC, really saw something. I'm catching on, I'm catching on. And there's a guy, he's up, he's speaking, he drank. I drank like that, I drank like that, I drank like that, I drank like that. I drank, I get that. That happened to me too. It was like, boom, we're going in a new direction. I get that, I get that. And what, what's it like now? It's like, it's got all that. No, you lost me there. I don't got that stuff. That, that is not happening for me. And that was me going to a meeting. That was a totally successful meeting. <laughs> totally successful meeting. <laughs> Didn't hit anybody. Didn't pull a weapon of any kind. Didn't run screaming out into the night. You know, I, I sat on my hands. I didn't know from what, how to be in the world. I didn't know anything. I just knew that this was it. If I wasn't going to die, these were the people that were going to show me. And the guy, the last guy that spoke, I, I, he made sense somehow. I mean, I felt, I felt him. I, I didn't have those words then, but that's, I felt him. He lit a pilot light in me. And I knew so little about AA. I, I said, I'm coming back next Friday and I'm going to hear that guy talk some more. Because I thought that was the meeting where that guy talked. 
stop. That was his meeting, right? So I went back the next week and I sat in the back. Yeah, yeah, 12 things ABC. I got, I got this. 12 things ABC. I got it. I got it. I got it. Right. I know we're breaking. I know we're breaking. I know we're breaking. Fine. Just back off. You know, I mean, I'm, I got an old hand meeting too, right? Out of my mind. And they said, they're speaking tonight's Betty. Hold it. <laughs> Who's Betty and what'd you do with Bob? <laughs> and the guy next to me goes, you're new, aren't you? And I went, I don't see any reason to bring that up right now. The question was, where the hell is Bob? Well, Bob was last week, but we have a different speaker every week. Yeah, we have different kinds of meetings. We have men's tags, women's tags, and we have a candlelight. I'm like, oh, no, 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 stop. I got get car, go meeting, hear Bob go home. That's it. That's all I want to do. I don't want to do anymore. And, and while I'm doing this, Betty's like 75 years old, got on her little summer dress, you know what I mean? Got the hair helmet working, you know what I mean? She's like on her way to the podium, man. And I'm just like, oh, great. How am I going to get this hour of my life back? And Betty gets up, hi, I'm Betty, I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Betty. <laughs> and like five, ten minutes in, Betty just like stops and goes, I don't know why. She goes, you know, if you were, when in my day, uh, if you were a reasonably attractive woman, you could walk into a bar with 50 cents and drink for two weeks and broke down how you go about doing that, right? And I, when she finished, I looked at the dude next to me and I went, Betty's a badass. <laughs> I would so hang with Betty, man. And I left that meeting a little freaked out. I'm identifying with 75-year-old women now. I mean, what the hell's going on? I don't, get it, right? I don't get it. And I got no place else to go, so I got to figure that I'm driving home, like, you know, freaking out, trying to figure this thing out. And if you're new and you're trying to figure it out, let it go. Just let it go, right? Just keep coming back, and the pieces will start to fit together. They will. They will. There's only the four things, man. You, we get it. Go, we go to regular meetings regularly. We get a sponsor. We work the steps, and we get out of ourselves and our service to other people. I might suggest a good way to do that is to take the book that the sponsor took you through to work the twelve steps of Alcoholics Anonymous to be relieved not only of the physical phenomenon of craving but the obsession to use, right? But that, that you take that same book and turn around to the new man and take him through the process you were just so generously taken through by your sponsor. That. Just a thought. <laughs> and, I, and there's been some controversy lately about people talking about wanting to change the big book. So I'll, I'll be the one, somebody else will mention it, I'm sure, but I'll be the guy, I'll, I'll take the first, I'll, here's the thing, here's my opinion. This is me, I speak for no one but myself from start to finish. This is just as Earl sees it, right? <laughs> You should be cautious with that. Um, if anyone really makes a serious effort to try to change the doctor's opinion of the first 164 pages of the big book, I will kill them. <laughs> I think that would be an excellent use of my time. And I know there's like eight guys in here right now that go, I got you, alibi, all hooked up, no worries. I got you. <laughs> right? <laughs> oh, no, he couldn't. It was three states away. You couldn't have been anywhere near that. Right? So what the hell was I talking about? Uh, right. So for you new guys, it's, it's really pretty simple, you know. Go to regular meetings regularly because we're not anonymous in here. We're anonymous out there. Right? Regular meetings regularly. Get known in here. Get yourself a home group, right? Uh, get a sponsor to take you through the 12 steps as outlined in the big book. Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of that, you can be a service. Now, there, there used to be a circle with a triangle on the cover, but we got into this beef with the Masons. Irrelevant, right? But it's, it, it still applies to us. It's an ancient spiritual symbol. It stands for mind, body, and spirit brought together as a whole human being. And therein lies the balance that we seek, drunk or sober, right? And because so if, if you just take a sober, a, a drunken maniac and sober him up, you got a sober maniac, right? We we need to make some adjustments here, <laughs> you know, if we're going to have any continuity, any success, you know what I mean? The ability to matrix down this newfound path on the life that we're living, right? So unity, it's, unity, service, and recovery is the same thing: mind, body, and spirit. Unity is the body. I bring it here. I couldn't get sober, but we seem to be able to. What's the first word in the steps? We. 
We admitted we were powerless, right? No, it, it, we got to stick together. I got to be with my people. I got to be with you. I've never wandered. I've never wandered away. I've always stayed close because I always hear like, you know, the people that go out and test the waters and come back, the ones that make it back. I, go, I always run right up to them and go, dude, how'd it go? <laughs> Anything I should know? Like, well, like, tell me exactly what happened. I, almost to a man. It's, well, first I stopped going to meetings. So don't discount the fellowship. I'm all about the program of Alcoholics Anonymous that's found in this big book. That's where it is. But the fellowship is vital to our recovery as well. I gotta sit with my people. I gotta be with you. I, I can, I can come in here and, and, and walk in the door and you go, how you doing, Earl? Well, I feel like killing myself and several other people right now. And people say to me, great, decaf for Earl. Nobody's real worked up about a statement like that in here. So if you're feeling like you want to kill yourself and several other people, welcome. <laughs> we got you. We got you. We don't kill people in here one day at a time. Which, by the way, was <laughs> the first, that was the first I got from Donald Madden when I did my first fifth step with Donald Madden. When we were done, that was the first thing he said to me, because I was planning a murder when I came into, into A&A, right? He said, uh, well, Earl, we don't kill people one day at a time. And I went, that's good news, because I, <laughs> I was really struggling with that one. Because I was pretty sure I could do it, but I wasn't so sure I could live with it. You know what I mean? There's the before and an after, stuff like that. I don't think the after part I'm built for. Anyway, hooray for me, I didn't kill anybody. Right? <laughs> But unity is the body. I bring it here. Recovers of the mind. I work the 12 steps to be relieved of the obsession of the mind because that's what they're for. So I can be free, no longer enslaved by alcohol or drugs. And everybody's talking about the steps. My, my little overview Tinkerbell thing with the steps is just step one is what's the problem? It was like a, like a power. Step what's if that's the problem? What's the solution? Step two, a power greater than myself that could restore me to sanity, soundness of mind, relieve me of the obsession of drinking use. Step three says I better do something about it. What should I do? Four and five me, six and seven God, eight and nine you, nobody else to play with. That's the whole team. I get to reboot my whole life in here. You think this is just about not drinking and using and you coming in here to clean up and that's all you're going to get? Buckle up, dude. This is a design for living, a real design for living. It, it covers the bases. We get to reboot, reformat, re-engage with the world and the people who live in it and this power greater than ourselves in a whole new way. We get to reprioritize how we are in this world. You get to build a system of life upon which you look through your skull from a different angle. I mean, it's beyond words what is available here. You can't go deeper than this thing goes. Anytime you go, okay, I'm as deep as I can go. You look up, A goes, pretty nice down here, isn't it? They're there. It's there, right? The principles afoot in this plan will be there for you, will sustain you, regardless of how deep you chop the wood and carry the water of this, this fellowship, this metaphysical path. It's solid as a rock, right? So unity's the body. I bring it here. Recovery's of the mind. I work the steps. Haven't had a spiritual awakening as the result of working the steps. That was the whole point. I was restored to sanity, soundness of mind, relieved of the obsession to drink and use. It's no longer even an issue. It's not an issue. What, now what do I do? The fourth thing that we do in here. I go to regular meetings regularly. I get a sponsor. I work the steps with that sponsor. And then I turn around and I'm in the service of somebody else. But I can't give away what I don't have. So I got to get right with this book. I got to get right with the power greater than myself. I got to get right with you and I got to get right with myself. The steps are the guidelines to make that. If you follow that blueprint, you will accomplish all of that. You will get right with you. You will get right with God. You will get right with everybody else in the world. They might not get right with you, but that ain't your problem. <laughs> That's what this thing does. This, it ain't magic. It's footwork. It's footwork. And it's just, because uh, I'll tell you right now, man, be the water. Be the water. Because water over the rock always wins. The water always wins. Rock thing, I'm hard, I got this. No, you don't, man. Water gonna just smooth as silk, just wash you away. Right? So the rock of addiction, the water of Alcoholics Anonymous, so it's, it's, it, we win. 
We get new life. We breathe new life. And we get to carry a message beyond our wildest dreams. We find purpose and value beyond our wildest dreams. I got a life I never could have imagined. The shit that I get to do? Swore right there, didn't I? (laughs) Fuck it. Just hold me back so long. I can't. It, it's me. Sorry. <laughs> Alcoholics Anonymous. You hear all kinds of things about this organization, right? But that rarely thing I noticed in my first meeting was this. Rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path. Hang your hat on that. And then get about the business of trying to find out what thoroughly means and pull it into your life. Everybody in here is willing to assist you, whoever you are at whatever point of the path you're on. If what you need is to pull that into your life, bring it in deeper, bring it in stronger, bring it in more on a more complete and fulfilling level. We're here for you. We can do that. There's somebody in here who will get the buzz, the level you're on, and take you to the next place. Right? So we're to, we stick together, right, to catch the buzz. Because, look, when we were out there, the biggest buzz I ever got was the first one. That first time I exhaled fully and completely, I chased the tail of that dragon to the gates of insanity and death, right? And, and all the way through that path, 16 years, the buzz got a little bit less, less and less and less and less and less. And the price I paid got higher and higher and higher and higher and higher. So that in the end, I was paying a horrible price just to get to zero. In here... It's the opposite. Right? You pay like a bitch to get 30-day chip. Little bitty baby buzz. Here's your 30-day chip. Way to go. And you're like, you know what? I've been through for this? (laughs) The answer is, yes, we do. (laughs) I was a bitch getting that one, wasn't it? (laughs) Wait till you get a load of 60. And I'll tell you this, though. They say there's no big deals in AA. I respectfully disagree. I think a 30-day chip's a real big deal. I think that's a real big deal. The longer I stay sober, the more... I, I, look, I was too afraid. I never took a chip. Didn't take a cake till I was three years sober. And I took it because my first sponsor was the late, great Donald Madden. My sponsor, as you can tell, I'm a hopelessly heterosexual, dominant, type A male. That's me. I've tried to be a little less, (laughs) and it always escapes me. I come flying back out. You're too much. I know. I'm trying. She has seen me at 10. (laughs) Now I'm old. This is me old. (laughs) Jesus Christ. (laughs) What the hell was I talking about? I'm sitting in a meeting and they're saying, i got to get a sponsor. I'll, I'll, I'll shut up with this. I'm sitting in a meeting about to get a sponsor, right? And I can't find anybody. Everybody gets up and talks and I'm thinking, I can hustle that dude. I can hustle that dude. I can play that guy. I'll t- I can take that guy's money. I can. I can take his money. Take his woman too. I don't care, you know. I mean, I just, you know, because I was, I was a cold-hearted dope fiend, you know, who had stopped drinking and using it and had no program. That's how I thought. If I can take you, I don't want you as a sponsor. You know, and I'm thinking I can take you, right? One day, I'm in a meeting, and this dude flies into the room. And I mean flies into the room, right? Oh, hello to you. And he was the speaker that night, the late, great Donald Madden, right? A flamboyantly gay man got up and threw down... And I had never seen or heard anything like it in my life. That man didn't care what anybody thought of him. His job was there to carry a message of the power and the magic of Alcoholics Anonymous. And brother did he. He was so alive and so lit up and so grateful to be a member of AA and so proud of Alcoholics Anonymous. He wanted everybody to know, right? That every single moment his eyes were open, his life was lit. 
And I just sat there. It was like it was like a storm coming at me, right? And he sat down and I went, that guy. And the dudes I was with were like, you've been paying attention, buddy? And I said, yeah, and I want him. That guy feels strongly about life and the living of it. And I'm dead inside. I want what he has. I want that. I want to feel strongly about something. And, and he scared me to death because he was just so much larger than life. And I went up to him and I just said, you know, uh, um, hi, Donald. My name's Earl. He went, what? <laughs> I said, my name's Earl. I'm an alcoholic. And will you sponsor me? And he went, yes. And you don't have to like it. And you don't have to think it's a good idea. You just have to do it, baby. <laughs> and I just looked at him and I went, I'm in. And just started crying like a baby. Right? Because it had been so long since I'd asked anybody for anything. I didn't know it had been a long time since I'd asked for help. Until I did it. Until I said, please help me to him. You know? And, and he said, yes, I'll help you. And he was my, I called him every day up until the day he died. I mean, he was Alcoholics Anonymous to me. He saved my life. He was the only human being on the face of the earth I trusted. And he didn't tell me about Alcoholics Anonymous. He showed me. He showed me. He, didn't, he never called me up and he said, Would you like to go to a meeting, Earl? You feel like a meeting? Because we could go to one if you feel like it. That never happened. We're going to, we're going to Fountain and Fairfax. The meeting's at 8 o'clock. I'll see you there at 7.30. Click. Like, well, geez, you know, yeah, you know, would I like to go? Yes, thank you. Uh, okay, you know, talking to myself, you know, and I would go go to the meeting. I'd go, dude, why are we here at 7.30 and the meeting starts at 8? He goes, because there's people, believe it or not, Earl, there are people crazier than you who are going to be coming to this meeting who don't know what to do. And you know a little bit, and that little bit that you know is what you should be giving to the people who show up that, are, that don't know that stuff. Like the, to get them a seat, make sure they have a cup of coffee. If they don't have a big book, get them a big book. So we're here to welcome and greet people to the meeting who need that because weren't there people there for you you selfish little son of a bitch <laughs> I'm like okay okay 730 is great for me <laughs> you know, you know? And, and he just he was so went so far beyond what is asked of sponsorship I went I became homicidal at two and a half years sober like the for real kind like I'm gonna kill this guy and I'm gonna go to jail and so what I didn't care anymore. I snapped. And I was going to this meeting, and it was the Saturday night Ohio Street meeting, and the meeting started at 8.30, and, it, and at 6 o'clock people got there and were making coffee and setting up chairs, and they had a meeting before the meeting. Donald was the secretary and all of his sponsees. We were the guys that set the whole meeting up, and I was the cleanup guy because they'd made me the greeter for one day. <laughs> and I was like at the door, and people come coming up, yeah, 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 come on in, come on, great, yeah, yeah, thrilled you're here, thrilled you're here. Get on in. Stop blocking the door. Go. Get in the meeting. You know, people were going up to Donald going, you know, I'm not feeling welcome. I'm not. I'm not. So he pulled me aside and he went, how do you feel about cleanup? And I went, awesome. Don't have to talk to anybody, right? And he went, right. No. So I became the cleanup guy. So I, my job started at like 10.15, right? So I'm, sure, I'm walking into the meeting and it's a little after 6. And I know somebody's going to punk me. Somebody is going to say... What are you doing here so early? And I'm going to kill him. I'm going to beat him to death right there. Because I'm done with all the chit-chat. I'm done with all the banter. I'm done with all the clicky bullshit. I'm done. And I'm going to beat a man to death. One, two, three, here we go. And I started to walk into that meeting, and Donald Madden saw the look on my face, and he went, oh, shit. And he ran to the podium, and this is what he did. He ran to the podium, and he went, oh! Which kind of snapped me out of, you know, murder mode. <laughs> and he looked at me and he said, it's 622 and you're late. See what he did? And I just stood there looking at him. I just, and I just started, I stood there and I just started to cry. How did you, how did you know how dark it had gotten again? That the darkness was back. That my dark passenger was alive was running things again, that I had something broken, I couldn't put it back in its box, and I didn't know what, to, and it was, I couldn't stop what was happening. I couldn't derail it. It was on. It was on. And you saw, you saw it. 
I'd never showed it to you. You saw it and you came and you made it safe for me to be in the room. Because when he said that, everybody in that meeting hall who was setting up was like, oh, he's, Donald wanted him here early. He's supposed to be here. So no cracks, no nothing. And I just went up to him and I hugged him and I cried until I couldn't cry anymore. And he just held me. And when people started to come up, to like they would start to come up to go, Can I? he would just go, and people would just go, <laughs> you know. And he just that and that happened. Things like that happened so many times between he and I up until I was two and a half years sober, and he asked me to give him a cake, and it was the greatest honor of my life that this person that could live a life that I did not know was possible asked me to give him a cake. And I was like, oh my God, this is awesome. So we went to the Wednesday night wrist slashers meeting, right? Great meeting. I fit right in. And we went and I gave him the cake and I went and I sat down and I was so proud and he got up and he said, and I quote, my name is Donald Madden and I'm an alcoholic and the miracle of my life is that I'm sober and who needs to know that is me. And then he sat down. And it was like he branded that on my skull. That November, six months later, I was three, and I went to Donald, and I said, would you please give me a cake for three years? He goes, oh, wonderful. <laughs> of course. And we went to the Wednesday night wrist slasher meeting, and I got up, and he gave me a cake for three years, and he went and sat down, and I got up, and I said, my name is Earl Hightower, and I'm an alcoholic. The miracle of my life is that I'm sober, and who needs to know that is me? And then sat down, I sat down next to Donald, and he looked over at me, and he went, oh, that was wonderful. <laughs> And I just looked at him like, dude, you said the exact same thing six months ago. And he said, oh, well, of course I did. So if you knew, congratulations. Just step this way, man. Find your Donald Madden. They're all over the place. They're all over the place. People have caught the buzz. People that, that look magical. And it's, what it is is the footwork of the lives that they live, the purpose and value that they have in, in the simple beauty that is Alcoholics Anonymous, where we recover from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body, seemingly hopeless state of mind and body, and lead these remarkable, productive, beautiful lives. We have a foundation upon which we stand, sober men and women, no longer enslaved by alcohol or drugs, and we get to go out into the world and build whatever we want to build. So if you want to be an astronaut, Cool. You're going to be a sober one. Right? You want to be a painter? You be a painter. You want to be a dentist? Great. We got dentists. The cool thing about this organization is, whatever you want to be, we got a guy. <laughs> we got a guy. Get a 90-day chip, we might uh, have a little sit-down with a guy about what you want to do with your life. First things first, though. Build the foundation upon which you will stand, free men and women. It's here. Come get it. I love you. Peace.